you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Good morning, church. It's good to be home. <laughs> Terry and I were at the Every Nation World Conference in Florida. Every three years, our church family uh, meets from around the globe and to build, encourage, and launch into all that God's doing. And this year was special. We were celebrating uh, 25 years. Actually, the relationships uh, in the churches go well beyond 25 years, but officially, as a Every Nation organization with the vision of reaching every nation, it was a 25-year anniversary. Speaking of our vision to uh, reach every nation, um, there's so much that happened at that conference. I know you saw a video a couple weeks ago. It was just a little glimpse, and uh, it's really hard to capture everything in a short amount of time, but I just want to show you uh, a one-minute recap video from the first day of our experience there at the conference. And so I'm going to ask the tech team if they would play that for us. When God said to us, every nation in our generation, it wasn't just every nation, it was a time component. It was in our generation. When we begin to pray for the nations, it creates an atmosphere. It seeps down into the discipleship process. time. Wish you could have been there. I know it's not easy when a conference is halfway around the world, but in three years, 2020, the conference will be in Manila. So start saving now. We are going to the Philippines. <laughs> you know it's more fun in the Philippines, right? <laughs> you know, the Guam crew that was there, we had about 20 of us uh, James and Sheila King were there, as you, some of you remember, former leaders of our church. Um, they now live stateside, but they consider themselves locals from Guam. And so they hung out with us during one of the small group times. A question that was asked is, if you could live anywhere in the world for an entire year, where would it be? And uh, James King's daughter said, I would live in Guam. So it was appropriate that I went to Kmart and I bought them four t-shirts that said, I love Guam. <laughs> and then also we had uh, our founding pastor was there, uh, Taylor and Elizabeth Stewart. And also the, on the far right or far left for you is Steve and Deborah Morrill. They're the president of every nation. And then uh, you all know Roland. And he was there. Roland was the pastor uh, before I was. They're living in Las Vegas now. He's pastoring the Every Nation Church in Vegas. And our kids were with us. We had a wonderful time. And so the next one's going to be in the Philippines. We're looking forward to that. Um, right now, we're going to turn our attention to God's word. Are you ready for that? I think we need to pray first. 
Father, thank you for your presence. Lord, thank you that you reached out to have a relationship with us. We've been touched and we've been changed. And Lord, it's just a glimpse of more to come. And so I pray that you would use your word to open our minds, our understanding, uh, enlarge our hearts to be able to receive your ways, your thoughts, your heart. God, I ask that you would transform us to be more like Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Ten years ago, Terry and I were living in Washington State. We had just finished a course in ministry, and we were seeking God about next steps. So I was having a quiet time. I had my journal. I had my Bible out. And I don't often have this experience, but in this particular situation, it was very clear to me. I sensed that the Lord said, read Leviticus. And that's not a book that we normally turn to in our devotional time. And if you know anything about Leviticus, it's not a small book. Leviticus, there's, there's a lot in Leviticus. And I remember my first thought when I sensed that's where I should go, I thought, great, where in Leviticus? And so I, I did something that I normally don't recommend, especially to younger Christians. But I, I, I got the pages of Leviticus and I held them between my fingers and I just kind of put my thumb on the page edge and I did what I call the crystal ball method. And I kind of went, and I was like, okay, let's see what's here. And it landed on Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25, if you don't know, talks about the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was a time in the nation of Israel where every 50 years uh, they would take like a year-long vacation and celebrate and rest and be in the presence of God. Now that had special significance for me because at the time I read this, I was 49 years old. And the way Jubilee works is every seven days, the pattern for God's people is to take a rest. And not just rest for a physical rest, but a day to be with God and to also receive from him and be in that spiritual rest of fellowship and, and restoration with God. But in addition to every week, God also recommends a pattern for his people every seven years that they're to take a Sabbath year, to take a break. It's not only for the people and their bodies and their mental well-being, but years ago when Israel was an agricultural society. It was a way for the field and the plants to take a break and for the land to be restored. And it was a healthy cycle for people to experience the fullness and the abundance of way, the way God intended life to be with cycles of work and rest. And then on top of that, every seven sets of seven years, there was the year of Jubilee. So seven times seven is 49. I'm 49 years old, and the following month I was about to turn 50. And it says, in the year of Jubilee, you are, you are to return to your homeland and to your people. I was living in Washington State, and I knew that we were supposed to go back to Guam. And so we did. You know, it's interesting when you feel like you're sensing God's leading and you follow him, and you think, oh, great, what's around the corner? But oftentimes, 
what's around the corner can be something quite difficult. You know, when God was leading the Israelites away from Egypt, you know, they ran into some difficult situations, and they got mad at Moses, like, what did you bring us out here for, to die? They were going through some hard times. But God had something more long-range in plan in his mind that he would eventually bring about for them. Well, in my situation, I came back to Guam thinking God was leading me to do that, but I went through a very difficult time because I couldn't find a job. For six months, I was unemployed. And this really began to test my heart. It be, uh, all kinds of things were happening. I was afraid we were going to lose the house. Uh, bill collectors were calling. It was a test of our marriage relationship. It was a test of my faith and whether or not I had hope. And to be honest, I was getting tested to the limit. As we got to four months, five months, six months, and things are getting worse every month that goes by, I started to get depressed. One day, I'm down in Aganya. I'm with two other Christians, and I'm sharing my situation. And they can just kind of tell from my heaviness of heart that uh, I need prayer. And so they offered to pray for me. And one of the guys who was there, he was new to me. I didn't know him. But he just began to pray for me. And it changed from praying for me to him beginning to express the heart of God. And he began to talk to me about how God is for me and God is the lifter of my head and that God is going to take care of me. And it was a word of encouragement that I needed in a very timely moment. That idea of God being the lifter of my head was, was important because, to be honest, at the time, I was feeling very low. You ever feel like a loser? You just don't want to lift your head? I was at that place, and at the right time, a word of encouragement came. So I went home, and I told Terry about what happened. Amazingly, two days later, I had a job, and everything changed. You know, when God does something, um, oftentimes it's more than what we are thinking. It's more than what we have in mind. I had these circumstances, I had these bills, um, I remember feeling encouraged, having a sense of hope that rose up within me, but little did I know that God had a lot more in mind than just a job. I was working at Benevente Middle School, which is where I met Lawrence. By the way, how many of you appreciate the word that Lawrence gave last week? There he is. <laughs> Great job, Lawrence. He was leading a Bible club at the time, and uh, back then I had no idea that Lawrence would eventually be a part of our church and become a leader. It was in that job I also met Pastor Elmore. In those days, he was a music teacher at Benevente Middle School. Uh, we had no idea that God was putting together a future team. There I was, unemployed, in a desperate financial situation, and I was asking for a job, but God had much more in mind. His grace changed everything. And this is the name of our new series, Grace Changes Everything. And Jesus is the one who changes everything. And when he changes everything, by the way, it's not just a matter of changing our perspective about everything. I think we can actually take this to be more literal. He actually changes everything. 
You see, when God gave me a job, um, it wasn't just about paying some bills. Although it included that, God's ways are much further. God was orchestrating relationships for the future as part of a bigger plan, a plan that would change everything. You know, it's not an accident that for years God has been orchestrating relationships in this church family, and then he moved us here. Let me give you an example of how God is working with the future in mind. I mean, who knew, as our relationships are building, as we're growing, as God moved us here, that in February of 2020, Franklin Graham would be coming to Guam. God was preparing a group of people to host the kickoff rally for all the churches to come for what will be the largest outreach we have ever known. His grace changes everything. Think about that for a moment. Just think about that. Do you think that God can change a circumstance? Yeah, I hear, I hear your response, because you've seen that. Do you think that God can change a person? Yeah, we know. We've experienced it. We've seen it. Do you think God can change a family? He often does. Can God change an entire church? Yeah, we've heard of revivals always. But can God change an entire community? Can God change Guam? Many say yes. There might be some who wonder. That's okay if you haven't seen that before. Can God change a nation? Can God change Guam? In this series, we're going to look at an encounter with Jesus where even in the most broken situation, he transforms our life and he makes an impact in an entire community. It comes from Luke chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 17. This is Jesus soon after he had healed a slave that belonged to a Roman officer in the Roman military. Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. Now, I want you to use your imagination to uh, just picture this crowd. Remember when you were in school? Remember during passing time, going from one class to another, and the hallways all crowded? And uh, remember what would happen if you heard somebody in the crowd yell, fight! And it was like the whole crowd would move like a school of synchronized fish to wherever the action was. And so Jesus has just healed somebody. And using uh, the fight analogy in the spirit realm, the big bully on the playground for centuries has been sin and sickness and death. And he says, I'm the biggest, I'm the baddest, and I have the last word. And then Jesus shows up and he says, oh yeah? Let me show you who has the last word. And then he heals the slave of this centurion Roman officer. And so the whole crowd was like, whoa! And they start moving with him. So Jesus is now walking to Nain, and there's a big crowd of people following him. 
So imagine there's one crowd. Now there's another crowd coming in the opposite direction straight at them. Only this one is a funeral procession. And there's a large crowd in the funeral procession. And so just imagine what's going on in the minds of the people as they're following Jesus. He just healed somebody. He now demonstrated he has power over sickness, over sin. And now here's a funeral procession. and There's a dead man coming. What's going on in their minds? Man, there's anticipation. It's like, what is going to happen here? It's a setup. Imagine the expectation. They're wondering, what's going to happen next? So that's the crowd. There's something else here that I want us to tune into. There's the crowd, but Jesus' attention is not on the crowd. Jesus' attention is on the woman. The woman just lost her son. Not only did she lose her son, but she's a widow. You know, back in those days, they didn't have Social Security. Okay, they didn't have, you know, government assistance for housing and for food. You relied on family. And so here she is. She's a widow. This is her only son, and he dies. Just imagine her situation. Imagine, like, thinking, what is going to happen next? This is worse than unemployment. It's, like, it's not like there's another son out there or another job to eventually provide. It's just like over. And so she's in a desperate situation. She's in a desperate situation financially. She's in a desperate situation emotionally. Just imagine the mental burden and the turmoil that's going on. And so Jesus is aware of her situation. The widow was in a hopeless situation. Luke 7, verse 13, when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And he said to her, do not weep. Don't cry. It's going to be okay. And he came up and he touched the coffin. Now, it's not a typical coffin like you and I would picture. It's more like imagine a stretcher with a body on it. And he comes up and he touches the stretcher. And he said, young man... I say to you, arise. You know, when you have power and authority, you don't have to say much. Just arise is good enough. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Jesus showed compassion and brought hope to the widow. Wow. He wasn't focused on the crowd. He was focused on the woman focused on her pain, and he was there to help. He was there to make a difference. He felt compassion. Have you ever given much thought to what compassion is? Compassion is when you're concerned about the sufferings and the struggles of others. Compassion is more than sympathy. Sympathy is when you feel sorry for someone's circumstance, but empathy is when you actually feel their pain. And Jesus had compassion. He felt what she was going through. You know, none of us like to feel pain. Not ours, not anybody else's. But God's word says, bear one another's burdens and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. And so to help us get a better idea of what compassion is, here's just a few synonyms. Compassion is, it includes things like feeling, 
empathy, understanding. You care for the person. You have concern for them, and there's a, there's a sensitivity to what they're going through, their circumstance, what they're feeling. And there's a, there's a soft-heartedness toward them and a warmth. It's not just, oh, well, that's too bad for that person, but like you're in it with them. It includes love and tenderness and gentleness. There's mercy, consideration. There's kindness involved in compassion. I've been reading this book here called uh, Discerner by James Gall. Very good book. I, I recommend it. In this book, he tells a story when he went to a Christian conf uh, conference, and his son was with him. And uh, the speaker there was uh, the renowned healing evangelist Oral Roberts. And afterward, people had a chance to interact with him. And uh, they were invited to share a question or make a comment, and then Oral Roberts would pray for them. And so James Gall is there with his son, and his son, Justin, I think is his name, asks a question. And he says to Oral Roberts, let me get it right here, how he worded it. His request was bold. He said, I want greater authority and effectiveness in my praying for the sick. And Oral Roberts looked at him, and he said, son... You don't know what you're asking for. And yet Justin insisted, and he repeated his request anyway. He said, that's what I want. I want greater authority and effectiveness when praying for the sick. And then Oral Roberts said something that James Gall had never heard before. And he said, well, for that, you must learn to love the sick. And the words of this renowned evangelist resonated in the room and James Gall knew that he had heard a major kingdom secret. You must learn to love the sick. So here it is, compassion again. We must learn to love the people that are often unlovable. The people, if we, if we want to reach out to them, we have to reach out to, I think it was Brett Fuller, one of our North American uh, Every Nation speakers at the World Conference. He said, you cannot remain in the presence and enjoyment of fellowshipping with God by just sticking around with people who are only like you. See, Jesus is about reaching everybody. It's every nation. So we must hold the compassion of Jesus' spirit in highest esteem and stir it up in our hearts. You know, it's, compassion is far from being timid or boring. Compassion is a powerful feeling that covers a lot of ground in the kingdom of God. And so like Jesus, who hung out with sinners, we must learn to love people that we don't like. God's desire is that we have compassion for everyone because grace changes everything. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son to be with sinners and to sacrifice himself for sinners. Compassion is necessary if we want to be one with God and be a part of what God is doing. Let's continue on in this story, Luke 7, beginning in verse 16. It says, Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. 
And this report concerning him went out all over Judea in all the surrounding district. If we could summarize what happened here, the crowd glorified God and told others about what Jesus had done. Now, what's the most amazing experience that you've ever had? Take a moment just to recall. What is the most amazing experience you ever had? And is it a natural response just to want to tell other people about him? about it there are some things that need to happen in us in order for us to have the freedom for that to happen in and through us and so as a as a way of application i want to share these as kind of prayer points um, things to seek god about so that we can grow in this area of compassion in a little bit um, i'm going to ask us to uh, get together with a partner, two, maybe three people, and, and to pray about these things. <clears throat> Number one, ask God to enlarge your heart and inc increase your capacity to love, to have compassion for people. You know, this is a prayer request that I have seriously sought the Lord for two different occasions in my life. The first time was about, I would say, 20 years ago. And I, said, I just realized that, God, my, my capacity to love people is limited. And I said, God, would you enlarge my heart? And I prayed that prayer every week for an entire year. And then I went to a Christian conference, and there was a person in the audience. They came up to me after a worship time. They don't know me. Somebody from Austria. And they said, I saw you during the worship time, and the Lord gave me a message for you. Now, this person doesn't know my prayer request for the last year, doesn't know me at all, and said, the Lord is going to enlarge your heart. I was like, wow, you will not believe what I've been seeking God for an entire year. I had no idea at the time that God was going to do that, what it meant. You know, Oral Roberts is right when he says, you don't know what you're asking for. The year after that, I went through the most difficult time in my life because God was removing all the junk out of my heart that was getting in the way. And this person said, part of the message, God is going to enlarge your heart, but first he's got to remove stuff that's surrounding your heart in order for it to grow. And so I went through a process of purification. And I tell you, it was not pleasant. It was hard. But I, looking back on it now, I can tell you it was worth it. And... 20 years later, I've come to another place where I realize, again, the limitation of my heart. And so I said, God, for the last year, I've been praying, God, would you enlarge my heart? And I tell you, it's been painful as God begins to show me stuff that's inside that needs to be removed. And although it's hard, I have to tell you, I'm at a much better place to be able to love people and see people, respond to people with God's heart, the way he sees them and responds to them. And so we want to ask God to enlarge our heart. Number two, ask God to give you the desire to go to people who are hurting and to help them. Imagine Jesus walking up to the funeral procession, taking the time to zero in on the widow and to be sensitive to what's going on with her and to stop and to tell her it's going to be okay and then to actually help. We want to express God's heart. And it's going to... It's going to take being able to go to people who are hurting and helping them. And thirdly, ask God to give you the courage to tell others about your experience with Jesus. 
You know, if you, if you want to grow in these things, you need to place yourself in the right environment. And I'll, I'll just encourage you, this isn't the main point, but a side note to keep in mind. If you want to grow in these areas, a great, a great place to do that is go to the kickoff rally for the Festival of Hope with Franklin Graham. It's not just learning about the event that's going to be happening in February. It's about learning of all the preparation process leading up to them. This is months of preparing ourselves to be the people that God wants us to be, to be able to engage and connect with those who are going to respond to God's love and forgiveness so that they can find a church family, so that they can feel like there's a place where they belong and they feel like this is home, like many of you feel. And we have lots of room for them. We have lots of room for them. And so there are ways that you can place yourself in the right place spiritually to be able to experience God and what he wants to do in us so that we can become the people that represent him well. In order to do this, I have to be honest, there are some hindrances that can get in the way. You know, it'd be nice just to hear this message and walk out today and go out the doors and trust that God's going to do a good thing. But to be honest, when you get out there, there will be challenges. And some of the challenges are not just external. Some of them are internal. There are things within us that we have to work through in order to demonstrate compassion. You know, one of them, Jesus identified when the religious leaders came to him and they said to him, you know, why is it that Moses permitted a certificate of divorce? And he said, from the beginning, it was never God's intention. But because of the hardness of your hearts, Moses permitted it. And so there is this thing, this condition, which is referred to in the Old Testament called a heart of stone. And a heart of stone develops because we all go through pain. We all go through offense. We, we experience hurts in life. And oftentimes, the only way we know how to cope with that, especially as children, is just to kind of close off and kind of get calloused and a little hard inside to protect ourselves. Because the next time somebody hits us verbally or emotionally, we, need to, we feel like we need to be protected. There's nothing wrong with protection. We all need it. The question is, how do we get it? And oftentimes, we create our own devices, and one of them is a hardness of heart. But Scripture says God wants to exchange our heart of stone for a heart of flesh. And so the first thing to do is to recognize, to some degree, we all have hardness of heart. There's only one person who didn't, and we're not him. And so, you know, until we're walking on water and raising the dead, we still have a ways to go in the journey. And so there are some things that God wants to work in us, and that's one of them. The other is what I call the opposite of love. Anybody know what that is? Anybody think the word hate? Usually that's a common response. The opposite of love is hate. Actually, it's not. The opposite of, of love is not hate, but indifference. You see, when you hate somebody, that's because they mean something to you. That's because you care enough. You're so upset about what happened because the relationship is significant. Hate is the, other, is the other side of the coin of love. The real opposite of love is indifference, when you don't care. Somebody says something, they do something, it's like, I don't care, I don't know you. That's the opposite of love. 
And one thing that, that God wants to, to help us get over is to not be indifferent about the circumstances around us in the community. And, you know, we can get desensitized by reading the newspaper, by reading the news online. You know, stuff is happening every day. We just heard about the shooting in Texas at a Walmart, at the mall, multiple people. You know, you, you just get a, a diet, a steady diet of this kind of news, and pretty soon it's like, oh, yeah, another one. But God wants us not to be indifferent. And so the definition of love the opposite of indifference is having patience with people and being kind, demonstrating goodness, being gentle with people, having self-control about the things we say, the ways that we respond. And we need a godly sorrow about the ways that we sometimes respond to people. Oftentimes, it's, it's not everybody. Um, you know, we don't treat the, cash, the cashier at, at, the, at the store the same way that we might snap with somebody in our own living room. You know, in primary relationships, we respond differently than we do in secondary relationships. And so every once in a while, tensions come up. There are conflicts. There are things that push our buttons. And, and God wants to, wants to rebuild and instill his heart in us. And so... These are some of the hindrances that we have to be aware of and mindful of in order to overcome them. We sang that song earlier, and you heard that song in the video, you know, uh, on the first day of the conference, at the World Conference. But God is an overcoming God, and he's here to share that victory and that freedom with us, to be able to overcome those hindrances so that we can experience compassion and the heart of God. Amen? Jesus is the center of why we do what we do. What I'd like us to do is to take some time, as I said earlier, to, to pray. If we can go back to the previous slide with those, with those prayer points. And if you would just take a few minutes to partner with somebody and, and just pray for each other about these. And then um, I'll, I'll close us in a group prayer afterward. So go ahead and find a partner, and in twos and threes, let's go ahead and, and pray through these here. Oh, Father, I pray for every heart in here. I pray that we would see people the way you see them. And as we see people the way you see them, I pray that you would take our hearts and reshape them and remold them and reform them and cut away anything that's preventing us from loving people more. Because when we see people the way you see them, we, we can have compassion for them. We can love them the way you love them. But Father, right now, I pray by your Holy Spirit and your power, increase compassion right now in our hearts as a people, as a church. Increase our desire for the lost. Increase our desire for the sick and, and for the lowly people in our, in our society, in our community that need you, Lord Father, that need a Father, that need to know that they're loved, that need to know that they're worth it, 
that you died on the cross for them and that they were worth it. Thank you, Father, for your love. And as our compassion increases, may that rub off on other people that we speak to. May it be contagious, Lord Father, that people would learn to love the lost. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.